Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hello, we're going to talk today about faith because of what God has done in our life. Faith because of what God has done. All of us are miracles. When we're born, that's a miracle. But even more than that, when we're born again of the Holy Spirit, that's an even greater miracle. And what we want to talk about is a passage in the book of Romans chapter 8 that expresses to us some of the great things God has done and that encourages us to understand why we can believe him throughout every situation. And we're going through some tough times today with the uncertainty of COVID, uh, the elections, the turmoil, the economy, and so many people losing their jobs and being separated from their loved ones. We need to constantly build ourselves up in faith. In Romans chapter 6, Paul establishes the fact that believers have been identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. In chapter 7, he talks about even though we have received Christ, there's still a struggle between unredeemed parts of our flesh that war against our mind, that inner part of us that want to serve God. And he talks about how we have the victory through Christ but then he says in the beginning of chapter 8, that glorious chapter that we're going to touch upon today, is that even though there's that war, it says there is therefore now no condemnation who, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say the reason is for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already set us free from the law of sin and death. So looking at all that as a backdrop, we're going to go to verse 9 in Romans chapter 8. In light of the fact that we've been united with his death, burial, and resurrection, according to Romans 6, in light of the fact that even though we still have struggles, there's a war between our flesh and our spirit, as Romans 7 indicates. In spite of that, we, are, we have no condemnation if we're in Christ legally because we've been set free by the law of the spirit of life but then he gives us some practical instructions, starting in verse 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That word dwell means to have communion, and he's active in our life, not just statically saying, well, he came in my life. Uh, and so anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what he's saying here is even though the sin inside of our flesh wars against us legally and judicially in God's eyes, as we've spoken of in past messages, we are not mere flesh. We are born again. We have the Spirit in us. We've been reconciled back to the Father through the death and burial and resurrection of the Son. So we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God has dwelt in us. So God looks at us and judges us based upon the new life we have in Christ because of the Spirit. 
We're not mere humans. We're not mere mortals. We are in the Spirit. Legally, we're positionally in the Father. We're in the Son. We're in the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Father is both the Father. God is also God the Son. So we have God as God the Father. We have God as God the Son. And God as God the Holy Spirit. Uh, light of light, true God of true God, of one essence, with the Father, one substance is the Spirit. So when we're in the Father, we're in the Son, and when we're in the Son, we're in the Spirit. So we're not merely human, but we are in the Spirit. So we're not just in the flesh, we're not to be judged just according to the flesh. Oh my God, that's a great, great thing. That's incredible news. That's something we could jump up and down about. We are not in the flesh, but we are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in us. And then he goes on to say, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so we understand here that, as Jesus said, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. If the Holy Spirit is not in you, if the Father is not in you, if the Son is not in you, you're not really a Christian. It doesn't matter if you were brought up in church. It doesn't matter if you even come to our church. It doesn't matter if you uh, have been uh, reciting Bible verses. What matters is Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Now, this is different from the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told the disciples who already had the Spirit, because it tells us in John 20 that he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. He told these people to dwell in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power from on high. And he said that when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses and you'll have my power to be my witnesses. So the Spirit in us is for salvation and for character development, and to be like Jesus. But the Spirit upon us is the baptism for ministry to represent Him, to move in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, and to hear His voice even more clearly. And so we're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit dwells in us. But if we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Christ. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. And so this is a promise that one day the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is going to raise our physical body. The spirit of God is a deposit guaranteeing that one day we will be fully united during that time when he raises up all the dead in Christ. It tells us that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that at one point in an instant, at the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, that God is going to raise our bodies. So as soon as we die right now, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but at the last trumpet, our bodies will go from dust to being a resurrected spiritual body again. Just like Christ, uh, not again, meaning that we've experienced that, but like Christ, and we will have a full glorified body the way Jesus does since his 
ascension into heaven. And so the Spirit in us is a guarantee that even though we still live in a death-doomed body, even though technically we're still under the curse of Adam when it comes to physical death, even though we could still get sick, even though we eventually die because we age, even though we're uh, subservient to the natural elements of heat and water and light and cold, even though from dust our body came into dust, it will eventually return. The spirit in us is a guarantee that our body is one day going to be resurrected. And we could also uh, use that principle. You could sort of extrapolate from that that even now we could receive healing, physical healing, because of the spirit in us that gave life to Christ can also even now give us life. It will not in totality give us life because the body's still going to die, but the spirit has the capacity to invigorate us, to energize us, to even heal us. And that's also a secondary meaning, although the full meaning of this passage, I believe, has to do with the fact that our bodies will be resurrected one day. So no matter what somebody does to my body, eventually this body is going to be perfect. Oh, I love that. I don't need Botox. I don't need cosmetic surgery. I don't need to uh, put on uh, all the makeup some of you put on. Because one day, one day, this body, as bad as it may look now, I'm not going to need that kind of cosmetic help. You're not going to need it. Nobody's going to need it who has Christ. We're going to be glorified, and we're going to look as perfect as God wants us to look for eternity. Wow, that's a promise. And then he says in verse 12, So then, because of everything he just mentioned, and because of everything he brought up from chapter 6 on, So then, brothers, we are debtors. We're obligated not to the flesh. The flesh hasn't done anything for us. We're not obligated to our old lifestyle. We're not obligated to our sinful ways. We're not obligated to living according to the values and uh, social structures of regular humans who don't know God and don't have God's light. We're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. He didn't say you might die. He said, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Wow. And so everybody here has a choice, even after they are born again. The choice is if you live according to the flesh, if you go back to your default position, if you look back to Egypt, if you turn your head back like Lot's wife did, you will die. Now, some people believe that that's talking about losing your salvation. Other people believe that's talking about uh, being uh, disconnected from God uh, and not having fellowship with him. Uh, This is not the point of the message today. I just understand that if we practice the deeds of the flesh, we will reap what we sow, which includes corruption, and could be a premature physical death. Uh, Some people also believe that there is a sin unto death that could mean spiritual, which I'm not going to get into, but 
we also understand that it could mean that our fellowship with God is broken. And believe me, even if it was possible for someone to lose their salvation, which I'm not saying there is a possibility, it's up to you to look at the scriptures and debate it. Uh, we know at the very least we don't lose it immediately, and even if it were possible. So the minimum understanding of this verse is that our fellowship with God is disrupted when we honor the flesh. We don't have that communion with him. We don't have that joy. We don't have that presence anymore. We die also could mean that we don't fulfill the assignment God has given us. We waste our time. We corrode. We corrupt. And we exist physically, but we don't have an eternal perspective and an eternal investment of our life that's ongoing. So whatever the exact meaning is, the best thing is not to take a chance and don't uh, live according to the flesh. You're not obligated to it, no matter what your friends and family say, even if they think you're crazy, if you don't jump back into the same debauchery you used to jump back into, you used to uh, live in, I, I should say. You're not obligated. You're obligated to God because he's the one who saved you. It's not your spouse. It's not your children. At the end of the day, at the judgment seat of Christ, you are obligated to Jesus. You can't blame your husband, your spouse, or your children, or your boss, or your lover, or your boyfriend for you following the flesh. Ultimately, it's going to be your decision. So we're obligated not to the flesh, but to the spirit. And we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if we do, we will die. But here's the answer. If by the Spirit, it's not just by mere emotion, discipline, willpower, but by the Spirit, we could put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. It's impossible to be a Christian. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's impossible. The only way you could follow Jesus is by yielding to the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit comes in us to save us. The Spirit comes in us to seal us as God's own. The Spirit comes in us so that he could give life to our death-doomed body as a guarantee for the future resurrection when Christ resurrects all humans who ever lived and gives all of them a supernatural, physical, spiritual body. But the Spirit has been given to us so that we can live for him now. We put to death the steeds of the body. We put to death sin, addiction, disobedience, rage, jealousy, bad temper, envy. All of these things are put to death by the Holy Spirit because of the incredible love of God, the purity of his peace, of his joy, of his meekness, and his kindness that overcomes our flesh when we yield to the Spirit. So the answer is not trying harder. The answer is giving God space to operate in our lives so that the Spirit and his word can change us and put to death the deeds of the body. We give him space every day by reading his word, by praying, by connecting with small groups, by making sure we're in church on a regular basis, 
by being accountable to others, by being in prayer meetings. Any way you could give God space increases the level and anointing of the Spirit inside of you that will in, in turn uh, put to death the deeds of the flesh, disarm it, take its power away. And then he says, for all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So once these deeds of the flesh are put to death by the Spirit, we can now hear God's voice. We could understand how to be led. Uh, we begin to walk according to God's path, whether we hear a voice or not. We understand which way to walk by the Word of God, so we're led by the Spirit of God as the deeds of the flesh are put to death. Uh, and we're led and we're guided because we're sons of God, meaning we're God's mature children. For we did not receive, verse 15, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Wow, what an amazing passage. And so we do not have a spirit of slavery. I love that. And this is so important. Of course, we're thinking just in terms of addiction. We're thinking in terms of our sins holding us in bondage, and that is true. But when this was written, uh, two-thirds of the Roman Empire were literally physical slaves. They didn't own their life. They didn't have freedom of religion, freedom of expression. They didn't have a way to make their own living but they had masters and they were in households that dictated the level and quality of life they were going to have. Some were treated okay, most were not. So two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves when this was written. So invariably, some of the people in the church of Rome who were reading this were slaves. So Paul is saying something so countercultural. Even if you're physically a slave, the Spirit of God is not a spirit of slavery that brings us into bondage to fear. But even if you're a slave, you could experience the glorious liberty of the children of God. You are the Lord's free person. You are free if the Son sets you free. You are free indeed, even if you're not legally free. Even if there's no social justice in your life, you are still free in Christ. Where there's no slave, nor free, nor male, nor female at the cross. This is powerful. So he's not only more powerful than our bondage. He's not only more powerful than the addictions that we have, whether it's pornography, eating the wrong foods, uh, lusts, fits of rage and envy, things and thoughts that we don't think we can control. Not only does the Spirit have more power than that, but the Spirit inside of us brings us into a place of familiarity with the Father where we call him Abba. That means daddy or poppy. That means that God the Father likes us. He doesn't just love us. That means he wants to put us on his lap. He wants us to enjoy his freedom and his liberty. And as we enjoy that fellowship with him, a little bit at a time, our emotions catch up. Our mind is renewed. Our ability to overcome sin becomes more and more real and more present. It all starts with experiencing the Spirit of freedom, that spirit that is not in bondage to slavery. We don't serve God because we're afraid of God. We serve God because he's our poppy. 
We serve God because the love of God compels us. This is powerful. That's what he's saying here. And so where dead is not to the flesh, because the Spirit of God has set us free, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, it says in Romans 8, 2. And then because of all this, all who are led by the Spirit of God. So when the Spirit sets us free, we're led by the Spirit. God's voice and God's leading becomes apparent to us. Because we didn't receive the spirit of slavery. In other words, we're not in bondage to the elements. We're still free as children of God to hear God's voice no matter what legal um, boundaries we have. No matter if in those days we were a slave or not. And then, I love this, the icing on the cake is, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It doesn't matter what the slave master says. It doesn't matter what the legal rights are. It doesn't matter what kind of oppression we have and tyranny we're experiencing politically. The Spirit of God tells us we are children of God. We're children of the Most High. We are part of His kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. And no man can put me in bondage because I am the Lord's freedman. I am a citizen of the King. And because of that, if I'm a child of God, I'm an heir of God. That means everything God has, I've acquired. I'm a fellow heir with Christ. Christ as the firstborn son who rose from the dead so that others can rise from the dead and be part of the family of God is the king of kings, the one who inherits all things. All the nations will be given to him. And it says that we become joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. And so we could believe God for anything that we need to fulfill our assignment. Uh, imagine Jesus walking on the earth, whatever he needed. If he had to walk on water, he walked on water. If he had to multiply bread, he multiplied bread. Uh, whatever he had to do, he did it. Well, the Bible tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. It doesn't mean we could snap our finger and walk on water. It means that whatever he's leading us to do, he will provide for. He guides, and whatever he guides, he provides for if we walk in his path. I love that. So any godly vision always is followed by provision because we are joint heirs with Christ. We have the ability to walk in the same manner, in the same confidence, in the same love that the Father showed Jesus. Because the Father loves Jesus as much, uh, and loves us rather, as much as he loves Jesus. It tells us that in John 17, 23, and 25. And so, because he loves us as much as he loves Jesus, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. We should walk like joint heirs of Christ and understand that we could believe God for anything he's called us to. He hasn't called you to a life of addiction, a life of poverty and brokenness so you can't even provide for your family, so you don't have the mental ability to function because you're walking in fear and anxiety. That's not the abundant life he has called you to walk in. As a joint heir with Christ, as Jesus is, so are you supposed to be in this world, not just when you go to heaven. 
So as we close today, I want to release faith. He tells us that we're fellow heirs, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's the last part of this message because suffering with him has to do with not taking a vow of poverty. That's man-made, self-inflicted suffering. has to do with being his witness. has to do with identifying our life with Christ. And in this world, if you identify with Christ, you will be persecuted. In this world, you will suffer if you don't espouse the same values the world has. They'll call you names. They'll say you're uneducated, you're ignorant, you're misguided. And some people even call this book an outdated book. Even some go as far as to call it a hate book because the Bible doesn't value everything the world does calls it a book of hatred but I'm telling you if you suffer for Jesus the promise is you will be glorified together with him for eternity glorify means that God will enable you to participate with Jesus in ruling and reigning over everything he will highlight you he will highlight his church he will highlight those who put him first and as he says in another verse later on in verse 18, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will afterwards be revealed in us. And so as I close this message, will you identify with Jesus? Do you want to reign with him? You have to be willing to suffer with him as well. We have to understand that we're not debtors to the flesh. We're not obligated anymore to walk according to the flesh, even though some of your friends and family may think you are. You're obligated to walk according to God's Spirit. So I want us to pray. I want to release faith over your life at a new year. Father, we thank you that we have been seated together with Christ in heavenly places that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free already from the law of sin and death. Thank you, God, that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will afterwards be revealed. And so, Father, we thank you, God, for faith rising in the hearts and minds of every person. Thank you, God, that we could believe you for the impossible. Father, we put the spirit of of faith right now in every family uh, listening to this message online. We put the spirit of faith over fear. We come against fear. We come against anxiety. We come against fear over finances. Right now we release a spirit of faith over the finances that they will have the breakthrough, that they will have the job, that they will have the wherewithal to get ahead, to experience uh, what you have for them in their family, so that we could be a blessing to other people who have not. Father, that the church will shine in this era of persecution, in this era of political turmoil, that the church will shine, that we will walk as heirs of Christ, and we will not walk as mere men, that we will understand that as Jesus is, so are we in the world, 
and that we are joint heirs with Christ even now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are listening to me today, we have live services. We started in the middle of July. You could visit us. We have powerful meetings, and we would love to see you as soon as possible. If you're not in the vicinity, of course, when you're visiting New York City, come, but you could be a part of our online family. We welcome you to connect, to subscribe to our YouTube station. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to pray for you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the dead so that you could be saved and his, be his child forever and ever and ever. If you want Jesus, if you believe that Jesus died and rose, if you believe this with your heart, why don't you pray right now? Say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe you're alive. I believe you're not dead. Because of that, come in my life. Give me the power of your spirit. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you made a decision. Now you have to become a disciplined follower of Christ. And you need the church to do that. So please communicate us with us if you prayed that prayer. And we'll contact you and walk with you and get you in a small group and try to help you any way we can. God bless you. And we know and believe that God has something great for you for this new year. Amen. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718 436 0242 extension 0.